0: and lasses, and welcome to Sticks and Taps, where we're talking hockey, a bit of the Irish crack, and raising pints. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, pulling up a stool at the bar. Next to me drinking, mate, Mr. Liam McGuire. How are you this fine day, sir? Two pints over here, bartender! <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd take one right now. It won't be long. I'll be having one in about 90 minutes or two hours, Polly. But I'm already looking forward to our end of the show, Whiskey. I can tell you that. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, buddy, uh, doing great over here. Doing great over here. Although I am a Montreal Canadian fan, so not doing so good hockey-wise. But uh, doing great, my friend. Um, end of another week. We got crap weather out, but you know, it's the fall and we know what's coming. So no snow yet. So we'll, uh, we'll roll on. <laughs>
0: Well, I'll tell everybody there, I know we're on the audio, but, uh, man, you're looking smashing today here on the video.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling smashing.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: buddy. So, I know, look- we kept we keep threatening, right? We keep threatening yeah. people that we're going to we're gonna fire <laughs> up the video with this, and I, I really want to, and, uh, you know, there's a thousand podcasts out there, and a thousand vlogs, and so much online, and we're just trying to carve our own little piece of the world here, Polly, with, uh... With you, you do an excellent job, everything you do uh, in and around the Rangers, your own entertaining and everything else. And plus, you're a great guy, good family guy, big oh, sports shucks. guy there, kid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I dabble a little bit in the, uh, in the history of hockey. Let's just say, for argument's sake, better than anybody on the planet Earth. And uh, I think that's just a deadly combo when you add in the Irish. And I think we've got a, a, a great show. And I think that, uh, I think, uh, damn it, you know, we need to bring this to the video.
0: We will. We absolutely will. So there, everyone, you've been warned. You've been warned. You've been warned. We're coming. We're coming. We're
1: coming in hot or maybe not.
0: (laughs) I just have to get a pedicure first. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, if we ever get the camera going down that far, we're all screwed.
0: (laughs) All right, buddy. Hey, look, before we talk about your halves and jumping around the league here a little bit today, uh, you had a big night there at your... uh, your namesake, Liam McGuire's yeah. talking about the old Canada summer team. So why don't you take us away? How'd the night go? We saw the pictures and the and your commentary afterward and everything, but it looked like a great night. I got to get up there to McGuire's for a pint, man.
1: Yeah, that's... Looks uh, like a good place. Well, it's a bucket list, you know, for... Since you and I first met there all those years ago to try and do some sort of uh, of of connection. Either You up here, for sure, given that we have a place called Liam Maguire's. So that would be appropriate, I think, for you and I to spend... Uh, spend, um, you know, a week in one night. And <clears throat> I think, uh, obviously, I gotta, I, I'm got i really anxious at some point to get back down and, and, and see you in the New York area. But we had a fabulous night, Pauly. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fast, very quickly, has moved so much beyond the last couple of generations. I mean, if, if you're not 60 years of age, you, in Canada even, where the series <clears throat> means everything and the Soviet Union, you have virtually no memory of it. And uh, so you can imagine globally, it's it's not something that resonates probably as every year and decade goes by with, with a lot of the hockey fans. But for those that do delve into a little bit of the history of the game, you don't have to scratch the surface too much to find the importance and the impact of that series. So next year marks the 50th anniversary. It'll really be for all intent and purposes, a swan song, if you will, in terms of public notoriety and the adulation, such as it's been. <clears throat> we don't wave the flag up here like, like you guys do down there. The, Ameri- <laughs> the Americans will, will absolutely kick doors down, wave an old glory to let you know that the kid down the street just won a gold medal in ping pong at 12 years of age. And I personally love that. Okay, We don't do enough of it up here anymore, and it's been lost a little bit of translation talking about the Summit Series because the, the, the generations that have come up behind it almost need to be force-fed, and when you do give them the, the proper goods on what it really was, they get it. And then they go, okay, okay, Liam, we get it. I mean, my dad talks about it, you know, it was way before I was born, but I get it or my dad or my uncle or my mom or my whatever, you know. <clears throat> and then the generation that I grew up in and those before that were older when that series happened, they don't they don't need any prodding because if you lived through it, you know what that month was. And just to give you a, a comparison because the biggest hockey game in the history of the United States is February 24th, 1980. When they beat the Russians in miracle. Well, game six, seven, and eight of the summit series was three miracles for Canada. Okay. <laughs> it was three of them, let alone that entire month. So it's just, it's just that's the magnitude to try and give you a comparison of where it's coming from. So on Friday night, I got a chance to speak to a crowd uh, somewhat bought and paid for. Everybody got a free drink. And got some wings and nachos to come in and be part of, essentially Paulie, a studio audience. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what it was. And uh, the producer from Montreal, who's doing one of the documentaries on it, uh, he uh, he did a one on one with me, which I was so honored to the, to have been asked to do. and then he um he taped me on stage talking to the crowd. so, some of what I said in the one-on-one and some of what I said on stage, including taking questions from the crowd. And we had a full house at Liam's just a fabulous, fabulous night. And, uh, we had a, we just, we killed it. And stay late. (laughs) uh, Well, let's put it this way. (laughs) (laughs) Two things on that front. I don't remember what time I got home (laughs) and, and I, I absolutely did not drive. They, uh, they paid, we have a service up here called Responsible Choice, where they will drive you and your vehicle home. So you get wow. two drivers, essentially. So it's, uh, and very happy to say that uh, one of the sponsors of the night footed the bill for me. Not that it would have been a ton of dough, but with the tip and everything, you're looking at about 150 bucks coming wow. from the bar to where I live, because it's about a 35, 38 minute drive, okay, door to door. And uh, so it's not like I'm five or ten minutes away, and and uh, I was actually on the water. I had switched on to the water and the coffee, and there were still about 40 people in the place, uh, my crew of regulars there who were going real hard, and they said, what the hell are you doing? And I said, <laughs> well, I'm going to take it easy for a bit here, and then I'm going to drive home, and they said, not a hope in hell, buddy, not tonight. Yeah. And so uh, we loaded up with uh, trays of whiskey and pints, and uh, they called responsible choice. So, yeah, it was a late night, but, I mean, I, I, it was an invite thing, right? So I put in on social media. You probably saw the, saw the invites, you know. Yeah, I did. There, yeah. Were, there were some people that uh, came to this thing. There was a couple guys came with their sons who came from uh, 50, 60, 70 miles away, you know, just to be there. They wanted the, their sons to hear me speak about the series because... You know, it's it's I I I don't know if maybe I'm the most knowledgeable guy on on the series, Polly, but uh I don't <laughs> think there's anybody who knows more than me. That's that's for I'll sure. I'll vouch for. And, and you, it's 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 you know what? It's not just that I know a lot about it. It's the uh it's it's what it what it meant to me. You know, I mean, meeting Paul Henderson on national TV the exact minute my father passed away Monday night, December fourth, nineteen ninety five, nine thirty one p.m. I mean. This is I'm spiritually connected to that man, that team, those players, that series, that time period I was 13 years old. It's a magical time. Everybody remembers when you leave and you become a teenager that first year. You know, look how it's celebrated in the Jewish faith, for for example. So it's a big, big age for for all boys and girls. And uh, I was 13 when that series happened. So, yeah, we had a fabulous time, pal. We killed it. Producer loved it. And you know what he did the next day? He got on a plane and he flew to Atlanta to interview Wayne Gretzky. Wow. <laughs> that was his next interview wow. after he interviewed me. So <clears throat> I tell you, I'm in, I'm, I'm in good company. Uh, they're Absolutely. doing a hell of a job on this. It'll be released next September. So we're going to have to put in the time and wait the 11 months and stuff. But uh, um, it was just a fabulous night, pal. Really Great was. Stuff. Thank, hey, Thanks for
0: asking about it. You got I, I want to ask you a question. Uh, you've been doing this for a long time as far as talking about the series and everything else, and, and you mentioned you could do a and a Give me uh, an example of one or two questions that maybe you got the other night that maybe do, – do you get the same questions or did anything stand out the other night? Like I said, you've been talking about this and advocating for this, uh, Paul Henderson and everything else. Did you get hit with anything yeah. that maybe
1: you didn't hear before? You know <clears> – <throat> I'd love to tell you that I did, but but no, I, I didn't. But you know, there was a good question that asked about the impact of the, this, the games against Sweden. Uh, most people most people obviously are aware that Canada played four games in Canada and then went to the Soviet Union to play four games. This whole thing was just set up, supposed to be a fun exhibition series. Canada was supposed to win all eight games, 10 nothing, And we lost game one, 7-3. We won game two, 4-1 in Toronto. Game one was in Montreal, September 2nd. September 4th, we win in Toronto. September 3rd, in Winnipeg, we tie. We blow a lead. September uh, 6th, we lose in Vancouver. No, September 8th, we lose in Vancouver, 5-3. So played four games in Canada with one win. And and then what a lot of people don't realize is that the team got in a plane and flew to Sweden and were there for, for about uh, 10 days. And they, a little less than that, I guess, maybe about eight days, seven, eight days. And they played two games against the Swedish national team. And it was those two games and the time spent now thousands of miles away from home where for these, these group of men, take your stars, your Phil Esposito, Sir Savard, Yvonne Cornways, Brad Parks, Bill White, Pat Stapleton, Dryden, Tony Esposito, Paul Henderson, Ronnie Ellis, Bobby Clark, all these guys. They'd never done this before. There was no world juniors then. Yeah. There was no international hockey that these guys ever had a chance to play in. Now they get on a plane, they've just got their asses handed to them in their home country. They got booed off the rink in Vancouver by all those left wing tree huggers. <laughs> and Espo gives a big speech on national TV, which none of the players saw. None of the players saw that. We all saw it. Mm-hmm. The Canadian fans saw it. And that's when we went, you know what? God damn it. We we have to rally around these guys. Yeah. These guys are in tough now. Let's support them like fellow Canadians, and the groundswell movement started. Then we go to Sweden, and the guy asked me, what did those games mean? And I went, oh, my God. I mean, I've been asked it before, but I don't get asked it enough because they were instrumental Mm -hmm. in in getting Canada more focused. First of all, they played on international ice. None of these guys had ever skated on international ice before. The, more, the biggest rick they ever would have skated on is whether they played on a river or a lake outdoors. Yeah. So <clears throat> it was um, Sweden, which they won game one. Game two turned into a shit show. There was so much stick work. There was Dale Talon was in a stick swinging fight. Wayne Cashman of the Boston Bruins got uh, butt-ended right in the mouth. He needed 60 or 70 stitches in his tongue, Polly. It knocked him out of the four games in Moscow. And he ended up playing the last game against the Czechs, which we, which a lot of people don't know we did that as well. So, you know, it was a month of hockey in four countries. Canada played three different teams. They they never lost. They won the series against the, the Soviets. They went 1-0-1 against the Swedes, and they tied the Czechs. And we came home. And globally, hockey changed forever. Mm-hmm. And you look at your fantastic goaltender right now, and the Rangers playing so well off to their start there, Shesterkin, and every single other former East Bloc Swede or Finn, or the multiple countries that make up the NHL today, mm-hmm. every single one of those players owes their paycheck and their livelihood to the Summit Series. It was the grandfather, it was the godfather of all international hockey as we know it today. And I'm not just pontificating here, sitting here, uh, waving my Canadian flag because we came back to win. What I'm telling anybody who's listening right now who either A, doesn't know almost anything about the series or just thinks it's some little colloquialism that we celebrate annually in Canada do yourselves a favor if you're into any type of history and hockey happens to be one of if not your favorite sport read up a little bit about it you don't have to sit down and read six volumes of War and Peace Mm -hmm. to find (laughs) out exactly what happened Google is your friend you'll get all the information you need right there but pour yourself a drink Take an afternoon or an early evening before your favorite team plays and take 30 minutes. That's it. If you've taken the time, and and listen, on a much more larger scale, anything that would have happened in any of the global conflicts, the war to end all wars, the Great War, all of those things where the men that participated there and the women behind the scenes are the truest of heroes. Mm -hmm. No question. But from a sporting vein especially now how global hockey is, then it behooves you, it really does, to take 30 minutes and read about the impact. And I'll finish by saying this, Polly. We had a guy show up Friday night. The very first conversation ever held about the Summit Series. This is the, the embryonic stage of how it began was... When a Canadian diplomat named Gary Smith, who was a director of sport and cultural affairs in Moscow in the early 70s, working in the Canadian embassy, saw a story in the Izvestia, which was the Russian newspaper in the sports section. They, they, would get, they got everything translated, where it said the Soviet national team was looking for better competition. They had just won the world's nine years in a row and three straight Olympics. And they said they thought they were ready to maybe try the Canadian pros. He gave the guy a call. He said, you want to give us a shot there, big boy? And he went, yeah. He said, well, let's meet for a vodka here and a beer and let's talk it out. That guy showed up at Liam's on Friday. Are you
0: kidding me? The guy who pretty much started the whole thing?
1: I'm I'm not kidding. I never never met him before in my life, Paulie. And you know, I've met everybody. Yeah. I met everybody there is to meet in the game, and i ne- I had never met him, and he showed up. What and, a uh, He actually um, he sat up at the front. I introduced him in front of everybody. He got a, a huge standing ovation, and then he talked a little bit right at the very very end as well. He obviously is 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 he's already been been interviewed for it, so he's going to be on it as well. So you'll That's see it fantastic. next year. But uh, yeah, man, great night, pretty cool pretty cool. I was really really honored uh, to meet him because that series and that time period of my life and and look, at the end of the day, you know, that's the first ever Team Canada. There was nothing in our country that was referenced as Team Canada before those group of men that yeah, played in the Summit
0: Series. That's why.
1: And, and and you know when Canada comes back to win and and look, you know, look, I got to say it here. I'll say it. We've been we've been fortunate, we've been lucky, but we've also been very good to continue Mostly, a pretty significant winning record in international hockey, right? When our best play at any age level. And, and uh, uh, that, that, when Canada comes back to win an international event, no matter what age it be, boys, girls, men, women, and they come back, they say, it's that's the Canadian way. We never give up. We play right to that last second of every period of every game. There was none of that before 1972, All of that started because of 72. Mm -hmm. And the comeback in 72, we had to win three straight games in Moscow. You want to talk about a road trip? About (laughs) winning on the road? I mean, I know the Red Sox came back to beat the Yankees four straight in 2004, and we've had it happen four times in the NHL. (laughs) But, Pauly, this was three games in a row where you're 10,000 miles from home or whatever it was, believe me. And you win them all by one ga- one goal and the same guy gets the winner in all three games and he gets it with 206 to play in game seven and a four on four and he gets it with 34 seconds to play in game eight that's awesome. where the Canadian mantra of never giving up plus they had three leads on us in game eight two nothing three one and five three going in the third period and we still won Wow so yeah. <clears throat> And ev- you can, everything's up. on
0: tape. You can watch all these games too, right? Everything's,
1: everything's on, tape. on tape. DVDs, uh, YouTube. There's just about, you know, even the Swedish games. So no they excuse. found those and digitized those and put them on DVDs. I got them here at the house. No excuse not to get uh, caught up in this series. Uh, this Take 30 series. minutes. If you've never, if all you've done is, is just heard the name Paul Henderson and think it's just a big deal in Canada... By the way, that's another thing. If, you, if anybody on social media, on, and any, on any platform, and, Team Can't, and some, the Summit Series comes up, people from all over the world comment. That was a global interest. That, that had a global hockey interest. The people from all over the world, they may not have been able to watch it. You didn't have that capacity in 1972. But they were following along, and they wanted to know, especially after we got beat. That's the most shocking. I mean, listen. That was the biggest one-game shocker for sure. Uh, miracle uh, beating the Russians in that in that semifinal, that second-last game in 1980. But game one of the Summit Series, man, was right there. I mean, beating Canada right in there, right in Montreal, September second, 72, 7-3. That was that was right there, man. It was uh, it was it was it was uh, it changed it changed the game. It it changed the it changed the historical path mm-hmm. of the sport of hockey.
0: Yeah, and I think you're bang on. I mean, the rest of us have uh, benefited from international play from that series, and I think the way you explain it that way, for me, it opens my eyes up. And because and you know, being down here from the states, a kid who grew up from the states, not realizing because you know you grow up thinking Canada's always been doing this. Canada's always had Team yeah. Canada. Canada's played everybody. And and when I and when I get to listen to you and hear you explain it, and you go, "Wow," and because Liam, that really wasn't that long ago.
1: You know, no. so it's. No, no. It, so, like, I, the, I like mean, the league an and international
0: right? play has expanded, you know, in, incredibly and in, in, in now, you know, reflecting back in such a very short time.
1: Well, you, you know what? I mean, the Americans won a gold medal in 1960 as well. You know, it almost never gets talked about. And they had no, an excellent doesn't. team. And, and that was in Squaw Valley in 1960. Uh, you know, obviously Lake Placid, 1980. They got a couple of to their credit. And and they're going to have a hell of an entry here in in February, God willing. If we go, we all know that they, they've got they've got all sorts of great hockey players coming out south of the 49th now. But the 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 global impact of 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 that series, you 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 the, the World Junior started in 1974 as as an exhibition. It became official in 77. The WHA tried a summit series, that had their own version of it in 74. The first ever Canada Cup happened in 1976 was born out of significant appetite from hockey fans for international hockey Mm -hmm. after the Summit Series. That's why the first Canada Cup started. We had a Canada Cup in 76, 81, 84, 87, 91. It becomes the World Cup in 96 because you had to change the name after all the trouble Alan Eagleson got into. They Mm -hmm. had to... Divest themselves of anything Alan Eagleson was involved in. It became the World Cup, who then had their biggest win uh, in terms of a series win when they won the tournament. I guess the Olympics in 80 for sure. But I mean, 1996 is right there. It's a 1 and a 1A, I think, if you ask American hockey fans. They're always going to say miracle and then beating the Finns for the gold. But winning the World Cup, beating Canada two games to one Mm -hmm. in the final. That's ninety six. Then we had then 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 NHL players started going to the Olympics. They go to Olympics ninety eight, Olympics two thousand two, another World Cup two thousand four, Olympics two thousand ten, Olympics two thousand fourteen, another World Cup twenty sixteen, and that's what we've had. And all of those events happened because of the Summit, Summit Series.
0: Summit Series, yeah. That's,
1: that's just amazing. a fact. Yeah, that's just yep. a fact. It's amazing.
0: It's amazing. Last thing on this real quick, because I'm a big Espo fan, and you talked about Espo's speech after that loss there in the groundswell. Was there anything particularly that he said that captured the country? (laughs) Because we all love how Espo talks, and I can only imagine him after getting uh, his butt kicked and being on the mic there, and I'm just kind of curious what he happened to say.
1: Wow, you know, as you're asking me, I'm I'm replaying it in my mind. Uh, He was interviewed by a CTV longtime sports reporter named Johnny Esau, right on the ice. He's sweating profusely. Um, he had just, just moments before the interview started had engaged with some of, the, um, some of those. You know, before the expression woke became a thing uh, in the last couple of years here, really illustrates um, a, a type of person that um, sadly is now permeating our society. Before any of that, they, those people were living in Vancouver in the early 70s. And, and uh, uh, anyway, what did he say? I mean, what did he not say? He rallied a country. He said, "We're trying. These guys are damn good. We're busting our butt. We're not doing it for the money. We're not doing it for the pension. We came because we got asked for Canada. We're trying our best." And and, and, he, and he indicated how disappointed he was to hear booze in Vancouver. And I'm paraphrasing. It went on. <clears throat> it went on for a good, probably four minutes. Mm-hmm. And it should be it should be required viewing in every Canadian school in September of every single year for every child that's in grade eight, the entire month of September would coincides with the start of the school year. They should do the entire history course for the month of September should be on the summit series and included in the viewing should be Esposito speech, which as I said, none of the players saw yeah. they were on a plane that night going to Sweden. There was nobody sitting there with their iPad or their laptop or their cell phone Flying over to Sweden in 1972, checking out Esposito's speech, which ran on national TV in Canada later that night, and then has been has lived on and you know uh, forever since. And and of course we've all seen it now, but uh, um, is I think the most incredible speech in Canadian history, <clears throat> Canadian sports history for sure, and one of the most incredible speeches in Canadian history overall, given the importance of the series. Plain and simple.
0: Great stuff. Great stuff.
1: Good old Espo, man. Love yeah. him. So, look, uh, last thing on the
0: international game, you're talking about the Olympics coming up here in, in, um, in February. And I'm just, I was just thinking about this last couple of days. Man, the, the, the talent that's going to head over there, and hopefully everything works out going over the China stuff. But, man, between the Canadian team that will always be there, and I know you guys start naming your players stuff, but, man, uh, in, in the U.S. is going to be there, Sweden, everything else. But Russia's going to have a hell of a team. You think of the players and, and the impact of they've had on the game here in the last four or five years, it starts with Vales, uh, Val, um, Vasilevsky, Vasilevsky and Nett, yeah, and it goes from there, and, you know, it's going to obviously be the senior guy leading the way, but, you know, you see a lot of these young Russian guys playing here today, um, that's going to be one hell of a team. I, I think maybe the defensively might be the weakest spot for them, but... Just want to get your quick thoughts on on maybe just a an outer yeah. look now. Uh, preview just in terms of the talent that's going over to to China. My my,
1: my quick thoughts are they've got zero chance of meddling. Um, really, I, and I and, and I think they they've cemented that fact by naming Ilya Kovalchuk has heading up their hockey operations to put this squad together. Who arguably will go down in the history of the sport as one of the most selfish players in the history of the game. And uh, man, was a guy talented? Absolutely. But they have not won gold, as you know, Polly, since 1992. Uh, well, they won, excuse me, they won there the last one in the, in the C championship that it was. That's where they excel. They, they've won a bunch of world championships where everybody sends their C and D team. And, and half their NHL guys, they fly back home. They're going back home anyway. So they play in this thing so they can have a nice party. And uh, eat their Borscht and drink their vodka and, and uh, screw around for a month in Moscow after, after they win. Get another ticker tape parade because they just won another world championship. They <laughs> won anything of significance, really hardly ever, in their entire hockey existence. Yet everybody just wants to talk about the Russian Five and how great they are. And, and Vladislav Trechak's the greatest goalie. And, and uh, you know, and this, that, and everything else. I mean, are they going to have a great team on paper? Absolutely. I mean, if you look back at their rosters, in the last half dozen Olympics and on paper, they have been able to rival pretty much everybody. But I'll tell you right, right now uh, I would say Canada and the Finns are your early favorites. I think the Americans bit of a dark horse. Uh, I think they've slipped back a little bit overall, to be honest, but are still going to be very formidable. Swedes are, I, I would classify as sort of right there with the Americans. I think there's your top four. I, I don't see that changing. I think Russia will be a tough out now. I will say this, Vasilevsky could be a difference maker, there's no doubt about it. He he has gone into another phase of his career, which is in, incredibly dangerous for sure, to be playing against the Michelin man, the Russian Michelin man. I mean, he literally is a, a 4 by 6 there, right? He looks impregnable there. Uh, Boborovsky, who beat him last night, and became the third winningest Russian goaltender, or the third to, I think, when get to 300 victories uh, behind Nabokov and and Habibulin. Um, He'll be backing him up, so they're going to be really formidable in net, and maybe more so than ever before. So I will say that'll that'll give him a chance, and you know, guys like Panarin and 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 some of the young Russians maybe won't have quite uh, look. They've had Ovi and Malkin and Kovalchuk call on the team before, and they've done nothing, nothing. You know why? Because what's gone on in Russia is there's been a transition from their national team that was run with an iron fist for close to 50 years, for over 40 years. You were told where to eat, when to eat, when you could see your family, when to work out, when to skate 12 months a year. Mm-hmm. And they came over, they played in units, they were cohesive. We didn't know anything about them, they weren't scouted, they owned the world, except when it came to playing us in the best <laughs> on best. You know, we beat them in 72, we beat them in 76, we beat them in 84, we beat them in 87, beat them in 91. Well, they got that one win against us in 1981, and so they're the greatest ever, you know. All oh, the Russian Five are un- unbeatable, just unbeatable. <laughs> Yet what nobody ever says is when Scotty had the Russian Five in Detroit in 1995, and they got smoked by New Jersey, and then in '96 they got smoked by Colorado. What did he do in '97? He broke up the Russian Five, but nobody says that. Yeah. Everybody just they put out that doc, that uh, that uh, whatever the hell. And, and 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 everyone, oh my God! Oh, they're just oh, so graceful, so beautiful. The hockey, <laughs> so nice. You know, they're so unbeatable. You know, but well, we beat them. We beat them in '87. We beat them in '91. And Scotty had to break them up. Is the only way they won that first cup under Scotty in 1997. But nobody says that. Check the frigging stats. Yeah, they did not play together. Are they all great players? Absolutely. But that was the end of that era. And those that have come along since have been more individual type players maintaining that Russian me first mentality. And they take that to their national team. And Pauly, you're not going to win. You're not going to win doing that. Mm-hmm. And so they've, they've had their asses handed to them internationally. I mean, they went to the final in 98, by the way. That's the most boring hockey game I've ever watched in my entire life. Gold medal game, 1998 Olympics in February. Brutal shots on goal, 22 to 20. Final score, one nothing. Entire game was played between the blue lines. They they may as well have been playing patty cake. You know, <laughs> nobody wanted to throw a body check. Nobody wanted to hit anybody. Nobody wanted to know anything. It won nothing. Give me a break. What a joke. <laughs> And and uh and then Canada took its rightful spot on top of the world again in two thousand and two. Thanks for coming. Pay the babysitter, get the hell out of here. <laughs> They're not winning squat next year. I'm telling you right now. Note to self don't bring up the Russians again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh I fucking love it. it. Is this bike still on? <laughs> Alright, Bartender, a couple more shots over here for me and Lim. Let's uh let's transition over into the uh Today's Davis. game.
1: Wow, Get them off you! Give, give me
0: a fight to win. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Alright, so let's talk some habs. Let's talk some Connor McDavid. As far yep. as the uh the new NHL let's season on is something
1: up. positive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, let's start, let's start in Edmonton then.
1: <laughs> talking about the Montreal Canadiens is more positive than talking about the stupid Russians. <laughs> uh, all right, brother, look, let's uh, McDavid, two hundred goals. am really.
0: sorry, of it's all good, man. Two hundred goals here by McDavid. Um, Oil is four and zero. They're great in the regular season. So is McDavid and title and the rest of them. Um, yeah. But, uh, hey, good mark for him. Young kid, 200 goals. Talk about it a little bit as far as where it stands yeah, up well, against listen, other young players. I mean,
1: he, he's, he's on pace for 225 points, Polly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I told you when we messaged yesterday, I said, if he gets three points tonight, what did he get? He got three points. Boy, that first goal. I mean, that's – I love what Dave Tippett does. This is – I'm not telling anything anybody doesn't know here. After a penalty kill, he, he puts the big boys together. And thing was is they were two men short. That was really the turning point in the game, and it was early, but I mean, you know, Arizona just couldn't find their way out of, out of, out of neutral there, but that's because Edmonton took it away from them, and then they killed those penalties, they come back with the big boys, McDavid scores, that's his 200th, Dreisaitl just got his the other day, so now he's like the fourth fastest oiler in terms of games played or something, or fifth, uh, and, and uh, listen, Connor McDavid, we'll have that discussion another time because I, I got to delve into that a little bit more from a historical perspective. I, I remember vividly in the early 80s watching Wayne Gretzky and starting to say, even after three and four seasons, that we have to start considering him as one of the greatest we've ever seen. You're going, Liam, give me a break. The, the guy hasn't won squat. And then, you know, his fourth year, he went to his first final. But Wayne was shut down so easily by the Islanders. And then the next year, another massive regular season. And then we all know they won their first cup and Wayne played a significant role in it. So even though Messier won the Conn Smythe, Wayne was, was unreal. I'm talking about 1984 and the way we went. you got to start mentioning Connor in the same breath. It's just, it's just incredible. I mean... I personally have never seen anybody do what he does with a puck on the ice. Mm-hmm. Never. I mean, Bobby Orr would be the closest. He did it from a defenseman's point of view, but he he didn't have obviously didn't have Connor's speed, and as a defenseman, he didn't have the same opportunity to to, to do what Connor does regularly, night in and night out in the offensive zone. Even though Bobby Orr scored 100 points a season, <laughs> but Bobby would be the last guy I saw that could move laterally and and so expertly with the puck on his stick he just what but connor's even connor i mean look we're talking 50 years later so you don't compare equipment nutrition coaching training the whole nine yards everything's changed so much bobby was exceptional connor mcdave was exceptional he was unbelievable last night And i'll tell you something else Polly, <clears throat> you know they ran away with that game, right? Ended up 5-1. Connor got a second goal on a power play. Uh, great pass, by the way. <clears throat> I think it was Nugent Hopkins. Great pass. Yeah, good night, through too. The uh, same as um, Ajo's goal last night. That opened the scoring for Carolina against Montreal. Exact same pass. Those are so tough to make through the box. Yeah. Because everybody's everybody's D, the sticks are so active today. You almost never see that pass. You You, may, you might see it... Completed maybe twenty percent of the time, but now you know it just speaks to how highly skilled these guys are in the game today. They're starting to make that pass a little bit more regularity. Connor McDavid is, you know, what? What, what more am I going to say that anybody hasn't said? But you know, he's got to roll through this season. I think. It, look, it. He, he, he's at the point right now that he has to do, and the Oilers, to an extent, have to do what the Toronto Maple Leafs have to do. The Toronto Maple Leafs haven't won a playoff series in 17 years. They've got this high-priced talent. They've got the best natural scorer in the game in Austin Matthews, and they've got nothing to show for it. They have to get off the snide and get something done. Whatever happens in the regular season means nothing. Means nothing, nothing. Yep. nothing. Mm-hmm. Leaf fans. You've got to just shut up and eat it and win around. Yep. You know we Montreal handed you your worst loss in history. Yep. Just a few short months ago, Connor McDavid has to find a way. Mm-hmm. And the Oilers, similarly, to do it in the playoffs. But you know what, Pauly? Between now and then, I think, I think, barring injury, and I will knock on all the wood I've got, including my head here, <laughs> please God, young man, stay healthy. Yep. I want to see you and Crosby on the same ice in February. It's almost borderline treasonous that we haven't had that opportunity yet. And I want to see, I want to, i tell you what, Pauly, if I can, if it's within my power, I will not miss an Oiler game this year. I cannot wait. Like, they're playing tonight at 10 o'clock against Vegas. I will be watching. Mm -hmm. I will be watching that game. I can't wait to watch this kid play. I think if he plays all 82 games, I think he's going to. I think he's going to get very close to 200 points. Yeah, I know. I said I mean, it. Look what he did in 56 games last year, man. That was unreal. Did, he did over 100 points in 56 games Jeez. last year. Over 100 points. I mean, no one thought he'd make that. I know he's not going to maintain this pace he's on right now. Let's not go crazy. <clears throat> but you know what? I mean, Wayne Gretzky had four 200 point seasons. We never thought we'd see it again. Marilyn Mew had 199. And if he doesn't have the cancer and stays healthy, he probably ends up with another one or two at 200 points. They are regarded as the greatest two offensive forces in the history of hockey, maybe sports. Well, certainly hockey. You could say some other guys. Michael Jordan, say Will Chamberlain, mm-hmm. got some other guys in sports that have done some things. But Connor McDavid, to do it in this era, uh, we're, we're, we could be going for some uncharted uh, uncharted waters here. So we'll see. I'll tell you what. I'll be watching him tonight against Vegas, and they're tough back-to-backs. Everybody's got to do them. But uh, I'll be watching that game tonight, and I cannot wait. He is the most exciting thing on skates I have seen in a long, long, long time. Yeah, it's fun to watch Ovi and fun to watch Pavel Bure and go down the line. Sidney Crosby, so many guys, right? Patrick Kane, Taves, everything everybody's done. The superstars, last 10, 15, 20 years. In the 2000s, been a lot of fun to watch a lot of guys. Yeah. But Con- Connor is in a stratosphere, stratospheric area compared to all of them as far as I'm concerned. And and uh last night three more points, including his 200th, 200th goal. He is he is a beauty, man. He is something else.
0: Yeah, no, you don't want to miss him. Down the road on the show here, I definitely want to get into talking about guys like McDavid and, you know, some of the biggest stars here and and, and guys like Austin Matthews, how competitive the league is right now and and these studs who put up tons of points. And, you know, to think now down the road if if Connor McDavid never gets to put the cup over his head or, you know, Austin Matthews, all these guys, like they're really talented players because the league is damn tough, man. And it switches up a, a lot quicker now than it has ever as far as, you know, just the, the kind of play. And we can get into it in terms of how Tampa played the last couple of seasons. They were unique Stanley Cups and all that other stuff. But those big caliber players, those talented players, in terms of them getting championships and in and, and what kind of path that that, that there is there. Because we could get into, you know, Coach Tippett and the goaltending here in Edmonton and go on and on and on uh, to get to a full season and eventually uh, get to the excess. Like you said, you know. Uh, they got to win. You got to win championships. And that's hopefully uh, what we'll see down the road. All right, let's talk yeah. about your Habs real quick. Um, tough start. 0 4. Obviously, Weber, Price out here. Uh, tough goal last night. Looked like a fun start there with Gallagher getting the first goal, but uh, it was a goalie interference. Man, uh, the Sabres fans could have used that. Uh, few years back, as far as that rule's <laughs> concerned, my God.
1: Um, Aho played oh, great was ridiculous. last. Yeah, That goal man. should never have counted in 99, and we all know it. Oh, my and, God. And, uh, yeah, that, that uh, you know, uh... anyway, sorry, buddy, I cut you off there. Sorry no, about that. No, no, it's all right, man.
0: Look, somebody had to catch a plane and get out of town. They need to end that game, I guess. Um, yeah, no, just looking at the uh, the game, the team last night, and, you know, just talk about the 0-4 start here. And, I mean, it's early, but, you know, just get your take here real quick on the Habs.
1: No, hey, hey, listen, it's uh, it's early late here. I think, as the expression goes, or something along those lines. This is a team that's in dire dire straits. I, I I said last night on on Twitter when I was retweeting your post there that we were we were taping another show today. I said I'll be telling everybody what Montreal has to do to win a hockey game. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you have an answer well, for us, sir? <laughs> <laughs> sure, man. I mean, just go down and play in the American Hockey League. Oh. <laughs> You think no, they should uh, have that, Liam?
0: Relegation, like they do in the Premier League. Yeah, you know? yeah, bring you up, know, bring a up discussion. the AHL team. <laughs> yeah, Send them back down.
1: Suggested at one point years ago. I remember that coming up in conversation a couple of times when uh, some of the some of the real lame ducks used to leap limp in with forty and fifty point regular seasons, which right now looks like that would be a godsend for Montreal because that means they'd have to either at the very least get 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 some games into overtime. But uh, last night was. Uh, probably their um, best game of the five in so much as they played, I would say they played somewhere in the neighborhood of 37 to 38 competitive minutes out of the 60 prior to that, their best stretch was the first 10 minutes of game one against the Leafs where they just looked like, Oh my God, this team just got off the plane from playing Tampa in game five. And then all of a sudden right off a cliff, right off a cliff and uh, I think the comments that came out last night um, from uh, Nick Suzuki, he said it best. He said the simple plays that we normally all can execute, we're not doing, we're not making right now. They're gripping their sticks. They're very fragile. They played, probably had their most spirited start since game one against the Leafs. It staked them to a power play where they scored. Gallagher skates were outside the crease, but his butt, no doubt about it, was in the net and uh and and uh, and they that goal was disallowed, and frankly, I didn't have a problem with it. I think it was probably the right call. And you could see Montreal sag after that., yeah. they limped out of the first period, getting badly outshot. Tell you what I saw it, I saw it in the in, in the exhibition season. I try and stay on point here. so here here's the reasons why it's happening. A Stanley Cup hangover. To, for the finalists that lost. We've seen it. We've seen it yep. for, for the last 20, 25 years. The time period, the the Stanley Cup was awarded a month later than mm-hmm. it normally was. It's already a quick enough turnover. Then you've got that. Case in point, look at Jeff Petrie. <clears throat> this is the worst hockey I've ever seen him played since he first came into the NHL. Mm-hmm. Even when Edmonton said they had enough of him, they were ready and they cut him loose to Montreal, They he did, wasn't anywhere near... As ineffective as he is right now. And you look at his play last year. He was in the Norris Trophy conversation two-thirds of the way through the season. He's been useless. The entire defensive core without Weber and Edmondson out of their top four has been decimated. They can't carry a pail of water, let alone a puck up the ice. So you're decimated at the back end. Jake Allen is playing his ass off, but he's getting no support. No run support in terms of goal and no support around the net. They're getting picked off like cherries. They're, they're checking air. They're missing assignments. He's facing a ton of rubber. He's not Carey Price. He's playing his ass off. He made mm-hmm. some of the greatest saves you'll see last night, but he's not enough. Then you go to the forward zone. They, can't, they, they have no breakout because the D can't do it. They do get a puck out. Three-quarters of their forwards are so fragile right now. They can't gain the offensive zone with any type of regularity or puck control. problem. That's problem number three. Problem number four, you get down low, goes to the Nick Suzuki point, they're unable to execute, they're unable to get shots on net, they're missing lanes, they're hitting pads, they're not realizing simple plays. Look at Drouet last night who picked up another assist, had a breakaway in the third, could have made a game of it, both him and Anderson on breakaways that they had in the third period, And you look at the three successive plays he made on the one power play to give the puck away. Why? Fragility, um, ineffectiveness in terms of understanding the the magnitude of the moment. They're not playing with the singular desperation every single shift that is going to be needed to turn this thing around. Because he has had an actually semi-decent return to play here, given what's gone on with him mentally. And yet he made those three blunders in a row. They cannot happen. And I'm wondering, Paulie, as I watch it, are they going? Does he go to the bench? And are the coaches ripping his head off that they like they should be? Mm-hmm. Or are they going? Well, oh, we can't say anything. Or he's he's back to you know what, right? <laughs> and 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 so what's happening there? I don't know. I, I don't want that's. Kind of unfair of me to say because the camera isn't on those guys. And I don't think Dominic Ducharme and Luke Richardson, the coaching staff, are really, you know, they're not John Tortorella types. Like, you know, after every play, whatever team Tortorella is coaching, you know damn well a camera's gonna go over there because Tortorella's gonna be losing it on somebody. Yeah. And that's almost as part of the entertainment package. Mm-hmm. But the point is is that Tortorella is uh, you know, has had the wins that he's had and has got a Stanley Cup to his credit and continues to get hired and has the runs that he has. Because that's his style. I know it's not everybody's style. Mm-hmm. But last night, like, where's, where's anybody in the dressing room? How come I haven't heard there's a players-only meeting? And you got nobody there who can lick a policy stamp, right? The only two guys on the roster in Montreal who can throw a right hand are Josh Anderson and Ben Sherratt. Chirot. Sherratt's not going to fight. He's broken his hand 19 times. So he wouldn't want to drop the gloves. Now you got visors. No one wants to go. But you look at Lucic's fight last night early on in that Calgary game against Detroit. They win the game 3-0. Lucic sets the tone. You know, I know all the little crybabies now. Oh, the violence. Oh, the fighting. No. You know, we can't have that. All the little tree huggers, you know. Liam, we want that out of the game and the visors and everything and the helmets, your punching helmets. You know, you you poor simple bastards who just don't (laughs) understand... You just don't understand the intricacies of the game and the sheer importance of sitting on a bench because none of you ever have and understand the value of having somebody do a collective grab of your neck and say, we're not losing tonight. If we are going to lose this game tonight... We're taking eighteen of those sons of bitches with us, so follow me, and they become the guys leading out of the foxhole. Just a little bit of a play on Mark (laughs) Vergein, and 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 yes, leading out of the foxhole, and you're going with them. And the Habs have none of that right now. They are in desperate, desperate, desperate straits. You lose your captain. Maybe for his career, certainly for this year, an incredible blow from the, the synergy in the dressing room. You lose Carey Price. Nobody even knew. Why is he out? He's out for mental illness, which is such an important thing right now, Paulie. Something mm-hmm. we all have to treat so seriously. But you can't tell me of it's not having a massive, massive widespread effect on the Canadians. So what do they got to do? You know what? They could take a page from Gabriel Landeskog in the Colorado Avalanche right now. Did you hear a comment? He makes his return after after his two-game suspension. They lose again. They're one of the early Stanley Cup favorites. The New York Islanders lose again. They've been one touted as one of the early Stanley Cup favorites. What is everybody on those teams saying? We have to work harder. I know it's an old expression, Mm -hmm. but we have to work smarter. We have to make smarter decisions with the puck, and we have to understand the sense of urgency that's required to win every single shift. Now, Montreal last night started great, and they scored first, and the goal was disallowed. They'll get a win here at some point in time. By the way, they lost to a team that's going to easily make the playoffs and then we'll easily get beat out again in the second round or something. (laughs) Carolina has nothing. Frederick Anderson is a the He played 12 minutes last night, Paulie. He played 12 minutes and he scores. Social media is all a a flitter, all the haters, right? The haters love it. They love it. They're they're loving this so much. Can you imagine the haters of the Montreal Canadiens were this close, Paulie? And I know people can't see me, but my thumb and forefinger are actually touching. They're this close. to crawling under a rock for maybe a year if the Habs had have even pushed that thing to six or seven games last year instead of going out in five to Tampa Bay. Just the fact that they got to the final. So now the haters are loving this, and Cocky Nami, they play him on the number one line last night. He still didn't even play 13 minutes, and he and he scores, gave a beautiful tip, beautiful goal, and I, I think it made it 3-1 three, three, at the time. It was a huge goal, and, and uh, good on him. I've been a big fan of the kid. What do the Habs got to do? The coaching staff has to go to this team at practice. They have to do it at the video session, Polly. And you show the Drew A play. You show the Caulfield play. You show the play of the guys down low. You show the passes of the pucks that have been shot right into pads. And you say, guys, look. We gotta find a way to get a W. The playoffs are are vast becoming already a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. But you wanna save some face here, get things turned around, start feeling good about the rest of the season. We got five and a half months to go. You gotta play smart. At the very least, get beat because you got beat by a better team, not because you played like an idiot. <laughs> so play smarter mm-hmm. in shorter increments. Get pucks in deep, follow it in physicality, you know, maybe say it. Maybe pull a page out of the New York Islanders against the Boston Bruins, Game 2, 1980, when Gordy Lane stood up and led a parade of men standing up in the Islanders' dressing room, saying each to themselves and then to their teammates, not tonight, Mm -hmm. not tonight. I know it was 40 years ago, and I know you can't do that today. But that Islander team, which then was winning their second of 19 consecutive playoff series, a Mm -hmm. mark that will never be touched, Mm -hmm. collectively that night, prior to Game 2 against the Boston Bruins, stood up to a man in the dressing room and said, not tonight. And they followed Gordy Lane out there, and every single one of them picked a Bruin, and yes, they set a penalty minute record in that first period, you tree-hugging left-winger <laughs> anti-violence people. But you know what? Not tonight was their mantra. And the Montreal Canadiens need to have that. And with no Weber and no Price and Petrie's head's in the clouds and you're dealing with mental illness everywhere and, and nobody, they've got nobody, somebody has to find a way. And it's got to be Brendan Gallagher. It's got to be Josh Anderson. It's got to be Ben Sherratt. It's got to be one of those three guys. And they've got to have that conversation. Not tonight. And and they go out and they play every single shift. Like it was game four against Tampa Bay. Where they won in overtime. To extend the series and not get swept. And, and put a little bit of validation into, into the incredible run that they had. And that's what they have to do to turn this thing around. It's not just me giving you the X's and O's. Polly. Mm-hmm. okay, left wing's got to go here, right wing there. I mean, if you look at it last night, they scored two power play goals, and one of them was disallowed. Yeah. So they kind of got that going a little bit. but uh, uh, And their shots on goal were a little bit closer than they've been in the previous games. But this is an incredibly fragile hurting unit right now. And somebody internally, and you know what? It could be the coach. Maybe not Ducharme. It could be a Luke Richardson. Luke Richardson and Brendan Shanahan were the first two men off the bench for Canada in Pia January 4th, 1987. When the Russians were beating the hell out of us on the ice and cleared their bench, Shanny and Luke Richardson were the first Canadians to lead our charge. And then we mopped the floor with them. Luke has got that in his heart. Mm-hmm. He just lost his father yep. about six weeks ago. God bless his soul, Glenn Richardson. I knew him well. So somewhere, somehow, somebody on Montreal has to have the fire that I hope I'm trying to speak with right now, and they got to grab this team. I'll tell you what. If they give me five minutes in that dressing room right now, <laughs> I could inspire those guys. I swear to God, I could, buddy. I'm and sending I've, this tape. I've never coached at that level. I'm sending this level. tape I'm to the you Bell right Center. Now,
0: I'm sending this tape to the Bell Center, buddy. We're going to turn this season around right now, right today.
1: <laughs> see this? I know our people can't see it. But you see, the size hell, of baby. This? see the size of this bottle of whiskey? <laughs> yeah, I think you're all fired up and ready for it now, man. No
0: doubt about it. All right, so look, with that said, before we uh, say goodbye here and do the Irish toast, you're going to take us to a small town in Northern Ireland now for, for just a quick yeah. second here, right?
1: Yes, I in am. The Great
0: County down. I heard.
1: <laughs> oh, come on, now. Polly, we always want to finish with a bit of an Irish connection. And and uh, I think today I said, uh, hey, listen, you wanted to start talking about some players of some Irish heritage and everything. I said, "Polly, check this out. One of the greatest games ever played in the history of the National Hockey League was in your fine city of New York on March 23rd, 1952." When the Chicago Blackhawks made a stunning comeback against the New York Rangers down 6 to 2 in the third period and stormed back to win 7 to 6 and scoring the tying goal and the winning goal was a man born in Northern Ireland in Banbridge and his name was Sid Finney Sid and Finney he scored the tying goal and the winning goal now Paulie people are saying Liam why in God's name would that be just because the guy is from Ireland, one of the greatest games? No, you stupid <laughs> bastards. That was the night that Bill Mozienko scored three goals in 21 seconds. Woo. The fastest hat trick in NHL history. Wee Willie Bill Mozienko from Winnipeg, Manitoba, scored three goals and had one of the greatest quotes in hockey history after the game. They said, Bill... What the hell happened out there? (laughs) And he said, fellas, I caught lightning in a bottle. Isn't that a great quote? Oh, yeah. So Sid Finney was born in a town called Banbridge. Polly. I got to read it to you. You got to read it, man. I got to read it to you. This is the description of Banbridge. Banbridge is a town in County Down, Northern Ireland. It lies on the river Ban. And the A1 road is named after a bridge built over the river Ban in 1712. And I know what you're saying. That's the last year the Leafs won the cup. (laughs) It is situated in the civil parish of C. Patrick and the historic barony of Ivy Upper, Upper Half. (laughs) Not just Upper Half, but Upper, Upper Half. The town began as a coaching stop on the road from Belfast to Dublin and thrived from Irish linen manufacturing. The town was home to the headquarters of the former Banbridge District Council. Following a reform of local government in Northern Ireland in 2015, Banbridge became part of Armagh City, Banbridge, and Craigavon Borough Council. It had a population of 16,637. In the 2011 census, which means in around 1930, when Sid Finney was born, it was probably one tenth that size. A beautiful little town in County Down. And if that isn't one of the most greatest descriptions of a town in Ireland that you'll ever read, I don't know what is. (laughs) You gotta read the last part there. Upper
0: half folly. But you gotta read the last part there. The town's main street. Go on, you gotta give it. It's very oh. unusual.
1: <laughs> you 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 read it. I don't have it right here. All
0: right. The town's main street is very unusual, Liam. Rising oh, here to it s- is.
1: I got it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The town's yep. main street is very unusual. Rising to a steep hill before leveling out. In 1834, an underpass was built. In 1834, <laughs> an underpass was built as horses with heavy loads would faint before reaching the top <laughs> of the hill. It was built by William Dargan and is officially named... Downshire Bridge, though it's often called <laughs> the, cut. the cut.
0: <laughs> You can't make this shit up. Woohoo! <laughs> I'll
1: tell you what, we have finished with many a great Irish song and many a great Irish thought, and we've done the politics and the sports and the religion on so many different levels. This has got to be <laughs> one of our best. <laughs> Sid Finney, God rest your soul. You know what, Paulie? He only died about 10 years ago. He's in every sports hall of fame in the in the province of Alberta that there is. The guy was an incredible hockey player. He didn't have much of a run in the NHL, but he went back to his town of Calgary where he grew up as a young man after they moved from Ireland. And, and he, he fashioned an incredible life there. And he still has family there. And I'd like to put my toast today to the late Sid Finney. I'd like to put my toast today to... Uh, Glenn Richardson, because we mentioned his name, Luke's dad, who died about five, six weeks ago. I'd like to put my toast today to Mike Bossy, who announced just a few days ago he's fighting lung cancer. We want to say our prayers for Mike, who's a friend of mine from over the years. And I want to finish my toast today to a dear friend I just lost, uh, who was also born in uh, in, uh, in in uh, England and uh, was a member of the SAS, Gary Soleil. Lost a very brief battle with cancer, but uh, Prince of a Man and a regular at Liam McGuire's. He would have been there Friday were it not for his illness, and he just died uh, two days ago. So, uh, for all Get those gentlemen, on behalf of all those gentlemen, I toast them today.
0: Cheers, and nice I second all of them, mate. Cheers. <coughs> Love it. Great By the stuff, way,
1: Liam. Paulie, Tell everybody what you're drinking today. I'm drinking Signal Hill, Signal Hill Canadian whiskey um, very very unique whiskey from Signal Hill which is just outside St. John's Newfoundland and Polly, they've got a sign there right at the top of Signal Hill that says next stop west coast of Ireland great stuff yeah you can't it's beat it buddy
0: beautiful part of the world there the west coast of Ireland no doubt about there you go your whiskey in the jar mate right there oh come on. Oh, what a way to go Get out man
1: on. Go on. Attaboy, oh. Polly. that's it kid all right
0: Thanks so much for listening, as always, everybody. Follow us everywhere, at Sticks and Taps. And me and Liam are always on the Twitter there. You'll our, find our social accounts there and tell everybody and subscribe. And we can't thank you enough. We're so happy to be doing this again. And make sure if you ever get a chance, head on down to the county down into Banbridge in Northern Ireland and say hi to Patty and the rest of the crew for us.
1: <laughs> say goodbye to the make, folks, Liam. Make sure you stay on the upper, upper house. <laughs> yeah. and, and don't use a horse. You'll never no. make it. You'll <laughs> never make it. <laughs> Go on, Liam. Even Say goodbye, to everybody. Getting up that hill. <laughs> Woo! Go on, Liam. Say goodbye to the folks, though. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. We'll catch you next week. Get it. <laughs> Woohoo!